Today we'll be discussing comedian Chris Farley, and we'll be discussing atherosclerosis. This is Doctor versus Comedian. I'm Doctor Asadoja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. Not a real doctor, Ali Hassan. Every episode, I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment, and I question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic from medicine and health and grills me on that topic. Today, we'll be speaking about the legendary comedian Chris Farley. And although Chris died of a drug overdose, his autopsy report did suggest heart disease was a contributing factor. So in our second half, we'll be discussing atherosclerosis. And further proving that I am not a real doctor, because I thought my father had art arteriosclerosis is that how it's pronounced Uh, really but we'll get to that (laughs) we'll get into that it turns out he had this one he had this one the whole time okay you think you think you know a guy well i'm here to tell you that you're probably gonna find out as you go out there that you're not going to amount to jack squat. (laughs) You're gonna end up eating a steady diet of government cheese and living in a van down by the river. So Ali, I want to talk about Chris Farley today. It kind of made me think we should do an episode on him because a little while ago we interviewed Dr. Mark Shapiro on our podcast and he talked about his love for Chris Farley and especially the Matt Foley sketch from SNL. Yeah. We should also mention that we didn't talk to Mark Shapiro because he loves SNL. That's something we found out in our conversations. Dr. Shapiro is known as a doctor, but also there's an entertainment content that he puts out on his podcast. A subsection of his podcast is called Med Lasso. He's a big entertainment guy. I think you two had a huge connection on how much TV you watch. Yeah, exactly. Uh, He and I had a connection on the fact that he's a huge SNL fan. So go back, listen to that podcast and listen to his podcast, Explore the Space. But let's get into Chris Farley. What I thought we'd do, Ali, is kind of what we do with a lot of celebrities. We don't kind of go through their life necessarily in chronological order, but we'll go through a bit of background and some interesting facts. And then what I really want to get at is what you think his legacy in comedy is. And just so people know about some of the background of how we research this, Ali has been recommending for quite a while now, at least a year or so, this podcast, Fly on the Wall with Dana Carvey and David Spade, where they interview various people from the history of SNL. Have I been recommending that on this podcast or you just have. whispering you have. it in your you ear? Okay. I've both, been doing both. both. Yeah. Okay. And so I took a listen to, the, they did a Chris Farley tribute episode Finally. a few months ago because it's been about 25 years since Chris Farley passed away. So they did this tribute episode a few months ago and amazing to listen to. You got to listen to it. We'll hit on some of the points that people bring up and some of the guests bring up in the course of our conversation today but this podcast is amazing i i can't believe it took me so long to listen to it but good call ali great choice just goes to show you sometimes i got some ideas you know sometimes Um, i got some ideas worth exploring so chris farley grew up in wisconsin came from a big family he had three brothers one sister and his father owned an oil company and his mother was a homemaker and it sounds like they had a relatively normal 
upbringing. On this yeah. Fly on the Wall podcast, they interview his brother and or one of his brothers and his. Uh, I've mother. never heard owns an oil company. That sounds like you know British Petroleum or you know Texaco owned. By, it's probably a smaller oil company. I yeah, I don't know. I and, think and it may have been a, an oil sales company, right? Where they're the middleman. I don't I think really so. Know. I think it was something like that. Yeah, yeah. I think his father was a was a great salesperson. I think is what I remember hearing in some of these interviews about him but anyway so they were raised irish catholic and in fact they always went to sunday mass and you'll hear this many many times from many of his colleagues including david spade he could be out partying debauchery you know after the snl rap parties you know late into saturday night and sunday morning and then he would always get up put on his tie go to mass every single sunday so definitely a religious guy he went to Marquette University and played rugby, and that's where they say he found his love for comedy. Because of how funny rugby is. Exactly. The concussions. Very funny. And then he eventually... The bent back ears, the broken fingers. Yeah, the cauliflower ears. So eventually yeah. he found his way to Chicago, close to Wisconsin, and started doing improv, and then went to Second City. And that's kind of where he developed his name. He started the same day as Stephen Colbert. And... He kind of progressed from there, then discovered by Saturday Night Live, and the rest is history, as they mm. say. Mm. I think it's fair to say you skipped a few steps in his life, but yeah, that pretty much sums it up. Wisconsin, so therefore, honorary Canadian. No, I'm just tooting Canada's horn a little bit there, but definitely there was a sweetness about him too. We're going to tell, we're going to go through a few stories that aren't as sweet maybe, but he had this sort of innocence about him too, which, you know, a lot of people... Growing up in that those regions, northern Michigan, Wisconsin, there's sort of an innocence there that you have that you don't have if you grow up in big, you know, major metropolitan centers. And and some of the stories on Fly in the Wall are of Chris Farley first getting to New York. His brother tells a story of him getting sort of falling for some scams immediately on the streets yeah. of new york like the card scam like the identify card this scams, card. yeah, yeah. I, I mean i've fallen for that too i thought what? i was a slightly savvy you have montrealer well yeah i mean not to the point where i had to go call my family for more money but i lost whatever it was 10 20 bucks really quick because i was like i can see where this card is i can clearly see what's happening and then as i backed out i was like oh now i can clearly see there's other people involved in this scam this is like oh gosh uh, yeah i do think that says a lot about you but anyway we uh, can uh, move on so let's go over a couple interesting stories about uh, chris farley's life and like i said we could talk about his legacy afterwards one interesting thing so again mark shapiro talked about this his favorite sketch is the motivational speaker matt foley which is an amazing sketch. And the first time he appears on SNL is just, I mean, it's unbelievable. I remember distinctly watching it with my sister and just thinking it was so funny. And you weren't alone in that. The cast members were struggling yeah, to, to keep, keep a straight, straight face. face. And yeah. I, we didn't see that that often. We didn't see people breaking, you know, the breaking really came in my mind with Horatio Sands and Jimmy Fallon. Those two mm -hmm, couldn't mm -hmm, keep a straight mm -hmm. face, unfortunately. But that was one of the few rare times I remember watching cast laugh. I was like, wow, they're laughing. This show really is live. Mm -hmm. That's why it's called Saturday Night Live. 
that sketch was actually written by Bob Odenkirk. Bob Odenkirk, famous from Mr. Show, Better Call Saul. Which you introduced me to, yeah. Fantastic show, yeah. Yeah, so so I didn't actually know. I should have known this. He was a writer on SNL. Never really a performer, but mainly a writer. Yeah. And so he created this. In fact, he was at Second City with Chris Farley. So they Which is when they there. created this. Yeah, yeah exactly. And then they yeah. brought the character over to SNL. And apparently based on the Catholic priest, the name is based on a Catholic priest who Matt Foley knew, who Chris Farley knew when he was growing up, named Matt Foley. And then Matt Foley himself was based on one of his high school coaches and his dad. So the name came from the priest, the character, yeah. and the way he kind of carried himself in the ridiculous format was based on some of these other people. And the way he kind of moved around was like some of the rugby players he knew. So, you know, it's such a physical, physical yeah. performance. There's a little bit of a tip in there for people who want to do improv and sketch if you are, I mean, some people have a thousand characters that live in their head and they can just reach for them all the time. But one of the greatest things you can do to help yourself when you're doing sketches, base characters on characters, you know, and sometimes even in, in, in acting, you know, it just draws you closer to a character and it's something that you can be like, oh, I'll just dip into my uncle. I know how to do that character. And it's in, it's like a, it's like an old sweater you can right, put right. on. Yeah. And speaking of sketches, then, the other one that he's really well known for, which has some controversy now, is the Chippendale sketch. So I think everybody should know what we're talking about. It's Patrick Swayze and Chris Farley. They're both in the finals to be like, get on the Chippendale's squad. I don't know if that's what you call it, but the you know to become a Chippendale's dancer, they have one spot and they're competing for it. And they both do like a dance-off. So a lot of controversy about this because most of us remember it very fondly hilarious it's actually the first introduction people really had to chris farley it's after this sketch he kind of took off on snl but a lot of controversy about it i guess bob odenkirk as we said who good friend of chris farley's said he was embarrassed by the sketch basically he's saying it body shamed chris farley it should have never gone on he thinks it contributed to some of his addiction issues and self-esteem issues later on other people like Robert Smigel, another writer on SNL who has written then for Conan. He does Triumph the Insult Comic Dog is one of the Robert best. Smigel, which is yeah. one of my favorite characters of all time. So funny. He did Saturday TV Funhouse, you know, so he, you know, he's a very good writer. He says, no, I don't think so. That's not what was going on. He said, Chris wanted to do this sketch. Look at how physical he is. He's agile. Everybody says this about it. He's agile. He's actually an athlete. He danced amazingly well. Chris was all for this. You know, that's not what happened. So I'm curious as to see what, what you think, Ali, your thoughts on this sketch. I didn't know about Bob Odenkirk saying that, to be honest. I know that a lot of people without the benefit of context and you know we live in a post-context world where people really don't often don't care about context as much but contextually a lot of people who love this sketch are like you know you listen to david spade who is arguably one of the people who was closest to chris farley somebody who loved him the most and also was most frustrated with him because they were so close he says chris wouldn't hesitate for one second to take off all his clothes all the time he loved getting naked for laughs this was something he was doing you know as far as back as high school this is something he was doing in second city and so chris farley in david spades you know um what i'm not estimation but in in his words was like this was something he loved doing yeah he would just show up naked in, he loved yeah. making people laugh so now he has the opportunity to do both i think 
Bob Odenkirk might be applying the sadness of where Chris Farley's life went and kind of trying to piece together why, how this sweet guy, because Bob knew him from Chicago when he was at his, you know, I would argue peak sweetness. He was still this Wisconsin guy who went to church every Sunday, who still had a very good heart. who was super gullible. And so he's like, what, where did it go wrong? Yeah, go and wrong. as you think, yeah. where did it go wrong? Maybe you're grasping at different things. You're like, maybe that sketch, maybe that sketch had something to do with, because he was deep down still kind of a shy person. And I get that. I understand, you know, like how performing can make you break through your own insecurities and become somebody else. And but I think the fat shaming element of it from everything I've heard seems to really be a little bit misplaced because Chris Farley himself, he was a guy who got naked all the time and he was a guy who loved to make people laugh. And I think the other genius of this sketch is that none of those people broke on camera. I mean, that you want to talk about physical sketches. That was insane. My respect for Patrick Swayze went through the roof. I was like, how did you do this, man? Yeah, I want to talk about a couple things in this sketch. First of all, Chris Rock, actually, he's more on the Bob Odenkirk side, which is interesting. I'll link to an article where they talked to Chris Rock about it. But I went back and rewatched the sketch because I'm like, well, was it? And both sides are actually kind of right in the, in my opinion, in the, for the sketch. First of all, Patrick Swayze is the hero of this sketch. He plays it completely straight. His thing, like, oh my gosh, this guy is so good. How am I going to compete with him? Is so genuine. That guy was a great actor, great yeah. comedic actor, very underrated. And people forget how good he was in the sketch. But secondly, it's true, this sketch, if you look for what Robert Smigel is saying, yeah, it, it does go like this. It's they're competing against each other. This guy's just as good. And then you're like, so that's that's funny. The premise of that is funny, that there's these two guys who physically look different but are competing just as good, and, and the judges aren't sure who they're going to pick. But the last minute of the sketch, though, is basically Kevin Nealon, who's like the head judge. It's like a they're judges like on American Idol, right? They're, they're yeah. kind of giving them feedback, and they're like – you're fat, you're out of shape and fat, and you know, oh you need to get into God. shape. And I forgot about that. I and forgot that's about that too. Minute. Oh, I don't. And then, in fact, it's actually very, they've pulled this sketch. It's very hard to find now. It is fat shaming at the end. So I can understand why maybe they don't want that on. Very hard to find. I didn't know that element of the sketch itself. Everything that I heard was about Chris Farley as a human being and his own, you know, weight issues. And these arguments applied to that. I didn't know about those lines. How how conveniently we forget, forget. I guess, what we That's done. right. And I didn't remember yeah. this until I rewatched it. And so I can see now what Bob Odenkirk and Chris Rock are saying. The sketch, actually, if you think about it, would it's funny because, you know, Patrick Swayze is, is feeling bad about like, oh my gosh, there's so much competition for this great dancer. You can think, so. I mean, I'm not a sketch writer, but maybe it would have been funnier if Chris Farley got the role, right? And that's the that's the humor in it because you you can't believe it. And, and I don't know, maybe that's the way they could have ended it. We all know SNL endings of sketches are the worst part of them. They don't know how to end them and they just kind of end abruptly or with some thing that doesn't really make any sense. So it's a classic journey through a SNL sketch, I would say, where you're like 80% of it is like, this is so funny. How are they going to end it? And then they end it and you go, ah, that really took the wind out of the sails of this thing. And to that point, you know, I guess I'm trained from years to just sort of forget, just right. squash the ending in my mind. I, I probably, you know, 
there's a classic sketch of you know, John Belushi will, who will talk about Bill Murray in this, you know, Chicago diner. I think it's the old goat. No, the Billy Goat Tavern was the inspiration for this cheese burger, cheese burger, cheese yeah, burger, yeah. right? So we all remember that. Do you remember how that sketch ends? Ends? Yeah, no. I mean those classic sketches. We we just never remember how they end for a good reason. I'm not defending myself. I should have uh, probably done that research and watched it again. But as you said, also very difficult to find. So I'm going to pretend yeah, that I looked for it, and it was too hard to find. Well, speaking of, of research and things that are hard to find, we could talk about some of his movies because I had to look at some of the clips from some of his movies because I, I thought you know because after SNL he took off. He was one of the main people, and then he got you know, his big movies, the big three that he did were Tommy Boy, Black Sheep, and Beverly Hills Ninja. So I thought we'd talk a bit about some of these movies. I also want to talk about friendship and when someone decides that they no longer can continue a friendship with a friend. I feel like I'm in that position because I found out about a half an hour ago that you've never seen Tommy Boy? Yeah, I've actually never seen a Chris Farley movie. What, <laughs> Any movie. What is that? I just I just never All got I do on this it. podcast is talk about how much time you spend what I never got around to it. I just never <laughs> but I've seen clips of Tommy Boy so I rewatched, you know, the clips that are on YouTube from Tommy Boy and I mean, it is like Please send your angry emails to Asif directly. And by the way, you know, if you haven't seen Tommy Boy as a listener, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Asif Doja, who loved Chris Farley on Saturday Night Live. You only get tiny bits of him. You get this sketch, that sketch. Now, his whole movie of Chris Farley, Asif is like a movie aficionado. You know what I think it is? I think I didn't appreciate Chris Farley at the time. Because I'm like, uh, oh yeah, yeah. Matt Foley was my, a good sketch. My off button here. <laughs> no, hold here. on. Just telling you the truth. The Chris Farley show that he did, where he interviews people, and you remember he interviews Paul McCartney. He's like, remember when? Remember? I mean, yeah, God, he's so funny. But I also thought everybody else was funny. I thought Sandler, David Spade. I loved Hollywood Minute, Chris Rock. I loved Mike Myers, Dana Carvey. So I just thought he as part of the ensemble. I didn't see him jumping out you know, like a Will Ferrell or an Eddie Murphy. I just thought he was part of the group and it was But funny. you see now how wrong you are to have yeah, had I that. I do okay. actually, okay. because the thing is I rewatched these, first of all, the sketches and these clips and I laughed out loud. And especially as you get older, laughing out loud at something does not happen a lot. Sorry, Ali. I know you're a stand-up comedian, but no, no, I see. It's a different thing. I mean, something on TV or a joke in a TV show or movie, right? You don't mm. usually laugh out loud, but when you're laughing out loud, like it, he is amazing, and I and I regret not appreciating him more at the time. Regrets? I've had a few. Anyway, so you tell us about Tommy Boy. Tommy Boy. I mean, it's a stupid movie, but stupid comedy is, you know. Adam Sandler has made a phenomenal career over what he himself would call these stupid, funny movies, right? Some like, I don't know if Happy Gilmore is stupid. Happy Gilmore is a fantastic movie, but you know, some dumber than others. Billy Madison's a little dumber, but anyway, it's it's a genre, right? It's it's not like, you know, intelligent, it's not like Napoleon Dynamite type of stuff. It's like, it's very, very dumb. There's very stupid things happening and you accept that and you bask in the glow you bask in the warmth of this stupidity so 
I would compare it to like the Royal Tenenbaums, right? Like it's not like that where you know I, I saw the Royal Tenenbaums with with my friend Brad and people were laughing out loud in the movie theater. He's like, this is not a laugh out loud movie for God's sake, idiots! Like he was like so critical of those people. So you know what I mean? Like it's, Brad needs th- to calm down. I think Brad's got yeah. some other issues going on in his life where he could let people laugh at what they want to laugh at, but. I do agree that, you know, the Royal Tenenbaum, any Wes Anderson film is a different type of comedy typically, right? But Tommy Boy is great. And I still, while I still can, I still put on my son's coats and I go, big guy (laughs) in a little coat. I stop before ripping the coat in the back. Yeah, yeah. But that's just because I'm a nice guy. And also I don't want to bear the wrath of my wife, but I just... I love putting on my children's coats and almost ripping them because of this movie. There's a lot of great scenes also. And if you like that movie, this is another thing from David Spade really, you know, in every second or third episode kind of like peels back some layers of what happens in that movie. People don't remember. There were some like Bo Derek comes through this movie as well. Bo Derek, you may not know that name. There's a movie called 10 with mm-hmm. Bo Derek that was, uh, you know, it shaped a generation of young yeah. men. I think, yeah, you could just look that up. You could look that up. I don't know if it stands the test of time, but for young dudes in the 80s, uh, she was incredible, incredible sex symbol. And she's in this movie. Brian Dennehy's in this movie. He's one of the great actors of his, his time, plays uh, Chris Farley's dad. So it's this mix of, like, great actors, goofy acting, incredible cameos, hilarious writing, and uh, yeah, like for for my money, I think I liked it even more than some of the, you know, Wayne's World. I th- I, f- I found this uh, kind of funnier, but it's in that same spirit, mm-hmm, right? They just mm-hmm. knew so many people. They had a lot of money where they could invite different funny people on the set, and I don't know. It's a funny, stupid comedy, and you accept it as such, and you you dive right in. It's really quite good. So he did these comedies where we said Tommy Boy and Black Sheep with David Spade. Then he kind of went on his own and did Beverly Hills Ninja. He got $6 million for this, which is a lot of money at the time. You can tell David Spade was probably a bit annoyed. Like, well, I was in the other two hit movies too, and you got $6 million, I got nothing. <laughs> he got about 150000 for Joe Dirt. Yeah. Don't forget don't, about Joe You know Joe what? Dirt. Joe Dirt is another one of those movies that it's just dumb, but it's funny. Come on. <laughs> like, apparently they made a sequel. I've not seen it. Don't know if it's any good. I'll but. follow David Spade down any path he goes on. I find that guy's comedy just, there's a few people who have a unique style from Saturday Night Live. Kevin Nealon is one of them who you just mentioned, one of the judges. David Spade is another. It's just like different, interesting voices. Not Norm MacDonald, obviously. Norm MacDonald, yeah. yeah. I just, I, I love these guys. I really like David Spade. So a couple more things about the movie. So apparently Christian Bale, you know, Academy Award nominee Christian Bale. I am Batman. Says Beverly Hills Ninja is his favorite movie of all time. It's hilarious. It's so funny. Well, I'll link to that article. So that's <laughs> it. And by the way, Jonah Hill says Tommy Boy is his favorite movie of all time. Now, Jonah Hill is a comedic actor and a dramatic actor. So, you know, there's a bit more. But Christian Bale, I just think that's so funny. A couple other things, Chris Farley was offered the role of uh, the cable guy in the Jim Carrey played in the movie, The Cable Guy, but he couldn't do it. So it went to Jim Carrey. He was also cast. I had no idea about this. He was the voice of Shrek and they filmed about 85 to 95%. Sorry, I shouldn't say filmed. They recorded the voice over first because I think that's maybe what they do first for animation movies. I don't actually know how animation works, but he did the voice cast and he did about 85 to 95% of it of recording the dialogue and then he died. 
And so they didn't really know what to do. Should they do an impersonator or do the rest of the lines? They talked to his brother, John, because his voice is very similar to Chris's, but he just, John couldn't bring himself to do it. Like, it, just, it was too difficult. So basically they re-recorded it with Mike Myers doing his Scottish accent. So I had no idea about that. Did you know that? I had absolutely no idea. It's such an interesting thing to me because I, I remember at the time being like, wow, Mike Myers really making this a fully Mike Myers vehicle over here, you know, and I kind of appreciated this situation so much more. And I also appreciate when your kid brother is John older. I think John is older when your kid brother has died, you know. Yeah, of course. Now, even John himself is like a little bit, you know, he has a regret that he wasn't able to do it, but how do you, I mean, it was just a horrible, horrible time in his life, I'm sure. And when you hear him talking to David Spade and Dana Carvey, you can hear, you're like, oh yeah, he could have, he probably could have come in and done that. But anyway, who's to say, I mean, Shrek, there was three Shreks, right? There's like a whole Shrek industry that created, that was created after this movie. So I guess all's well that ends well, but you have to wonder, Cable Guy as well, you have to wonder how would that, mm -hmm. how would that have gone? And that's not because of Chris's death, but just uh, scheduling. But yeah, you know, I, I really love Jim Carrey and I think he's a phenomenal talent, but I wish I could have seen Chris Farley as Cable Guy. Because the Cable Guy is like, it's a comedy, but there's that obsessiveness that the Cable Guy has with Ben Stiller's yeah. character. And seeing Chris do that, kind of a bit more serious, dramatic, evil, kind yeah. of like, like, that would be very interesting. I think it would have been funnier. Whereas Jim Carrey also wound up proving his acting chops because there's a menacing quality right, of, like the, right, the, the right. evil part of this uh, or you know demented part of this stalker as well one thing we should mention which I, I we haven't talked about and not maybe not everybody knows this people who are more sort of casual chris farley fans chris farley had a, a love uh, that was a bordering an ob obsession of john belushi and John Belushi, you may not know, again, a huge, huge talent. His life also overshadowed by his love for drugs and partying. Also overshadowed by his treatment of women, or should I say his, you know, in the end, yes, his treatment, but his outlook of like women and comedy. And, you know, when you talk to people from that era you get a feeling for like, you know, the men sort of tolerated the women being on Saturday Night Live, but it was more like a, all right, let the men handle this and the women. So that sort of overshadowed his legacy. But as far as a comedic talent and a force, he was truly something. And that was, that was one of the big, you know, if not the big first loss for Saturday Night Live. And, and you know, you got an idea of like what it means to be thrust into that world and the pressures uh, around that and not the pressures only but also the insane partying that 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 accompanies all of that and jim belushi uh, john belushi's brother talks at length about how they lost their brother and and how he would talk to chris farley and chris it's like that that sketch remember when your brother did this remember when you were that that was awesome like he was really like enamored I mean, like I said, borderline obsession with John Belushi and, and Jim Belushi, his brother was like, Hey, Hey, my brother's dead. Okay. Just remember that my brother died. He pushed too far and you don't, cause he said, he says in an interview with on, on fly in the wall, he's like, I could tell that he was just 
too obsessed with him and it was like wanted to do everything that that he and, and wanted to be beloved like him but he was like you're missing an important thing here he messed it up he screwed up and now he's gone and now nobody can enjoy him and chris farley somehow it's a very there's a real darkness on that conversation because chris farley didn't really seem to care yeah that he was gone that yeah. wasn't the point the point was his body of work, how beloved he was, how awesome he was. And it's like, he couldn't hear that part about like, yeah, but now we don't have him. So you see that he made some mistakes there. And I think it was very clear to John that he was abusing, not just using, but abusing drugs and, and, and pushing himself way too far too. And oddly, eerily, they died at the same age. They died at age 33. And yeah, I mean, it was almost like this was the path he felt he had to follow. So it's a, it's a, it's a really sort of a dark chapter or element of Chris Farley's life, but an important component in understanding Chris's uh, mindset, maybe. And I think it is useful to listen to this podcast if you have interest in the story, especially hearing from David Spade. Dana Carvey, he didn't overlap that much with Chris Farley on SNL, so he wasn't as close to him, but David Spade obviously was. And towards the end of... Chris's life, you could see he was falling away from his friends. And Jim Belushi says that's what addicts do, right? Because they see their innate, they hang out with people who are enabling them. And I think David Spade and, and Jim Belushi both said how frustrating it is when some people say, well, you know, how come you didn't do anything? Some people right. actually say that. And it's like, no, we did. But someone who has addiction problems is purposely moves away from people who are challenging them on their addiction. And so, of course, David Spade wasn't in contact with him a lot towards the end. For the last few months, Because yeah. he tried, but of course he, he was pulling away. So it's just something to remember. Obviously we, we should cover addiction on another we episode. We definitely should. And I've got a few friends where that's been the case. You know, you hang out and you party with some friends and then, you know, I'm leaving and then it's a new shift of people coming in, right? It's the 3 a.m., 4 a.m. shift. And it's, there's a, there's a grittiness and a darkness of those characters and they're coming in and you know that kind of we're like, hey, I thought we had a good night. Is it time to go home? And then you realize, oh, no, no, these, this person has a another level to their their partying. And so I've seen a little bit of that with a couple of different friends. And I could really relate to what David was saying there. It's like, you don't people who say that don't understand the mind of an addict at yeah. all. Yeah. So just to wrap this section up, Ali, what do you think is the legacy of Chris Farley in comedy? You know, the legacy... He's kind of featured in everybody's reaction. When I say everybody, I mean Chris Rock. I mean Adam Sandler. I mean all these greats who were close to Chris Farley. Their reaction when they're reminded that it's been 25 years since Chris died. Every one of them was like, oh God, holy crap. Has it been 25 years? And this is not like, you know, watching your kid go like, oh, he was 10. Now he's 20. This is crazy. This is like... I think that really speaks to the legacy and the work of Chris Farley and how long lasting and everlasting and ever present it is in the lives of people who knew him best. Not one of them wasn't shocked by the, by the year, how long it's been. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And us as listeners, you know, Adam Sandler has this phenomenal song. If you watch Adam Sandler's uh, Netflix uh, comedy special, he raps with a song he wrote for Chris Farley. And the cheers you hear from people in the audience, obviously, if they're Adam Sandler fans, they would be Chris Farley fans. 
And the way that that song resonates, I admit, I got a little bit emotional listening to it myself as well. David Spade was like, at the very end of that song, I have to leave. I can't, I can't mm -hmm, hear the end. Mm -hmm, you know, there's, mm -hmm. there's no way I can hear the end. It just destroys me. And 25 years later, you know, people are struggling to move on because of how much of an effect and an impact he had on their lives. And this is fans for sure, but this is definitely like the people who he worked closely with. It's just, it speaks so much to who he was and what his impact was on human beings. Yeah. I think that's really it. He could make comedians laugh and, and the comedians thought he was the funniest comedian on, on SNL. Someone says the funniest comedian they've ever known. And that's really the key, right? Is that they just really felt so, strongly about him and, and his comedy and a couple of stories one is if people want to find a hidden sketch that you may not i hadn't seen it before until i heard david spade talk about it it's a japanese game show that is hosted and, and it, it's chris farley is like a contestant just kind of wanders on that he's thought he was getting a tour of, of a studio and he ends up on the game show it's quite funny and everybody speaks in japanese in it it's it's really mike myers is the host and alec baldwin is the guest like just watch that for his reaction because I, I i think a lot of people haven't seen it the other thing is there's this story and this is what convinced me john lovitz told this story on fly on the wall and i'll link to a twitter post that john has about it and so i'll just tell the story very quickly though i can't tell it as, as as you know as funny as john lovitz can so john lovitz was having a super bowl party at his house and he had bought these hot dog buns that were shaped like footballs okay simultaneously at the same time in around january he got two new kittens so when he's having a party he puts them in his bedroom and closes the door puts a sign you know kittens sleeping do not disturb so halfway through the party john's going to go up to his bathroom to use a bathroom in his master bedroom and he sees the door is a bit ajar with the kittens so he's like wonders what that's about and then he hears chris farley say john john and john lovitz turns around and chris farley has one of the kittens in one of the football shaped buns. buns and pretending to eat it and there are some pictures of this which i'll tweet out it is so funny i heard john lovitz tell the story when i was listening to fly on the wall and i was driving and i almost like had to pull over because i was laughing so much it was just so funny and the, the fact that john lovitz just loves this story and john lovitz is very straight right when he tells stories yeah you could tell he just thought this was so funny anyway just classic that's a great story also because john lovitz when you listen to him he seems like a guy who would be very protective of those kittens I put the sign on the door. Nobody's right, supposed right, to go yeah. in. Kittens are sleeping. Guys, I, these are my brand new kittens. And I think he would have been with anybody else, but Chris Farley had a way to pierce through and do things that you're <laughs> like, oh, God damn it, Chris. I also think that if that story bothers you in any way, if you feel sad for the kittens, maybe don't go back and watch any of the Chris Farley's. <laughs> it might not be for you. Some of these things don't stand the test of time. You, you kind of have to be an SNL fan from that era including that Japanese game show, right? So not everyone's going to be into people talking a fake Japanese and pretending. I thought they were really speaking Japanese. You think Mike Myers learned I heard that they Japanese? learned Japanese for You're it. You're joking. But listen, definitely somebody Japanese, speaking Japanese so should let us know. Yeah. Yes, yeah. It didn't sound like fake Japanese, which is pretty racist. That That's my understanding, that they had, they had to learn Japanese for it. But anyway, take a look. Someone let us know. I apologize for my ignorance about Japanese. And you've been to Japan, haven't you? I have when I was a kid. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> and he didn't eat those kittens, by the way, in case you're wondering about that. No kittens were harmed in the making of that show or this show.
singing about, I'm singing about my friend Chris Farley. And if we make enough noise, maybe he'll hear us. Give it up for the great Chris Okay, so we are going to talk about arguably the hardest thing to pronounce that we have discussed to this date. I'm sure there will be more. Actually, there have been a few uh, uh, tough ones out there. But this one, ather, atherosclerosis? Is that what mm-hmm. I, just, I have to really nail the A on that, right? I have been calling it arterio, arteriosclerosis, which I also can't pronounce. Mm-hmm. My father suffered from this atherosclerosis, and more importantly, so did Chris Farley, uh, potentially leading to his death from a drug overdose, and that's why we're, we're talking about it Yeah, they said it, it was today. a contributing factor in his, on his autopsy. Right, and then I'm sure he had a few contributing, I mean, the guy lived very hard and very mm-hmm. fast, I'm sure there's mm-hmm. a bunch of stuff going on there, probably wasn't getting his eight hours of sleep a day, hmm? probably wasn't, yeah. So this is a word, I think you say it's a Greek word. Mm-hmm, how, do, mm-hmm. how do we break this down? Yeah. So let's just start. Arteriosclerosis is hardening of the arteries. That's a bit different and not as common as this atherosclerosis. So we'll just stick with talking about that. So it, as you said, it's a Greek word. So what it means is an accumulation of lipid. Uh, lipid is fats. And ather in Greek means gruel <laughs> and thickening of the arterial intima. So sclerosis is hardening. Yeah. So it, it, you have these hardened plaques that are developing. So like well, so this different. is interesting though. So, I mean, that's what you just said. Arteriosclerosis so that, is so Arteriosclerosis too, is the elasticity of your blood vessels becomes hardened. This is okay. different. This is a hardened plaque on the inside, inside of, of the arteries. This is like something that's going to be clogging up your blood vessels. Right. As opposed to your blood vessels becoming stiff. The gruel really paints a nice yeah, picture. Exactly. If you're trying to exactly. remember. And we, we, we both giggled at gruel, but it does help you remember this. Okay. Thank you, Greece. That's right. So you get these cholesterol plaques that build up and they reduce the blood supply to important organs. And that's why it causes disease. And these plaques develop, it's not like plaques. Well, don't leave us hanging here. Which important organs, bro? Oh, sorry. Heart and brain. Heart and brain, I imagine. Heart and brain are the two main ones. So yeah, I guess we could talk about that. So that's how you get myocardial infarction or heart attacks or angina when you have the chest pain, strokes, or what we call transient ischemic attacks. Some people call those mini strokes. Sometimes it can cause abdominal pain or even worse, bowel infarction. If you have, basically it's like having a heart attack where you have a blockage of blood, but instead of to your heart, it happens to your bowels. That could be extremely serious. And then there's what's called peripheral vascular disease. I don't know if you know people who've had this where they get pain in their legs with long walking. And it's because their blood supply can't get to their limbs because they have they have this thick the, these thickened plaques in there in the arteries that go to their legs mm. and so that can cause problems as well so and just to be clear the atherosclerosis can often lead to these variety of things correct but uh, like for example a stroke is not always caused 
Biathrosis. Correct. Correct. Okay. It is most commonly caused by those things. Okay. Strokes can't. And we'll, we'll do a whole episode. We'll do episodes on heart attack and stroke because those are separate so. things that yeah. we need to get into detail about. But you, yeah, in most of these, the common problem is atherosclerosis in sure. most older patients. You know, okay. we see pediatric patients who have strokes, and that's from different causes. Oh, geez. Yeah. Have this. But again, that's that's a teaser for another future episode we can talk about. So we're talking about this plaque that forms in the arteries. From what I know, and as you know, that's not much. And tell me if I'm wrong, nicotine, stress, fatty foods. These are the three that I believe. Yeah. Think, yeah, for sure. Suspect. For sure. Yeah. So smoking plaque? for sure. Smoking, not nicotine, smoking, right? Because it's not the nicotine that causes the problem. It's the smoking. You mean I could chew nicotine gum and be a healthy human being for the rest of my life? Yeah, like vaping really? doesn't cause the issue. So yeah, oh. nicotine is just addictive. Okay. And high cholesterol, definitely, but especially there's two kinds of cholesterol we talk about, LDL and HDL. Mm -hmm. And LDL is the bad cholesterol. So having a high LDL predisposes you to that. HDL, you want to have a high HDL because it's protective. There's other kinds of fats called triglycerides that can also contribute to it. And then one thing you didn't mention is hypertension, big risk factor for developing atherosclerosis, so high blood pressure. I obesity, said stress. Physical I said activity. Stress. That's yeah. what I was talking about. There you go. <laughs> obesity, physical activity. There's a couple of non-modifiable risk factors. So advanced age, having a genetic predisposition to high cholesterol. Can't do much about that. Family history. You and I both have family histories of heart disease. But what are you going to bring up that? Well, I was going to say South Asian yes. descent. We're number one. We're number one. Yeah, is, is it, it has an increased risk. And so what's interesting is if you look at these patterns, because I know you, you said on a previous episode you want to talk a bit more about this, you have increasing quote-unquote westernization. I'm not sure that's the right term to use, but if you know what I'm saying with that, the frequency of coronary artery disease in Eastern countries was low and high in the West. But as we have adoption of more of a Western diet, sedentary lifestyle, now we're seeing an increase. So we're seeing that again, atherosclerosis rare in the African continent, but now increasing, increasing the Middle East, Central and South America and India. And we know that Asian Indians, so that's South Indians, have a two to three fold higher incidence of, of atherosclerosis and like coronary artery disease than do white people say in the US. And that is not just when they leave the South Asian the subcontinent. Yeah, it's happening in India as well. And I've linked to a very interesting webpage from the Indian Heart Association. They say that India now accounts for approximately 60% of the world's heart disease burden, despite having less than 20% of the world's population. Heart disease strikes Indians and South Asians at an earlier age, 33% earlier than other demographics. 50% of heart attacks in men occur under age 50. And 25% of heart attacks in Indian men occur under age 40. Mm -hmm. And it's estimated 40% of all stroke-related deaths worldwide occur in South Asians. I mean, these are crazy numbers. So yeah. they attribute this with this. I know that's your question, right? Like why, yeah, yeah. why, well, why, yeah. why? And I, yeah. Yeah. And it's because they think there's an underlying genetic predisposition and the shift of these modifiable factors. So more red meats, more saturated fats, more trans fats, increased stress, 
and higher sedentary lifestyle. We talked about this before. Now people working, instead of working outside, they're working call centers, they're working in IT, so more sedentary lifestyle. So yeah, it, that, that's a non-modifiable risk factor. These things are all kind of concerning. You can change the genetics, though. If you have a genetic predisposition, you can't change your genetics. You could change no. your genetics. Why can't you start eating and living a completely different you can, you life? You can. You can. You yeah. can. That will help. That will help, obviously. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's why we have modifiable risk factors. Oh, I thought genetics was a non-modifiable. Yeah, you can't modify your genetics because your genetics you are your genes and your you, body. But your predisposition doesn't dictate that, like, you, you don't You're sit back and have, go. No, of course not. But right. you can't change if you are, you and I are genetically predisposed to having heart That's attacks. not going to so We change. cannot change that. Then, yes, what we can okay. do is modify everything else to decrease that risk. Right. So it. you, I don't know if you know this, but I take a lipid-lowering agent. I'm well aware of that, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, now no. the rest <laughs> of you are too, okay? So, in fact, we'll talk about the treatment in a second and and, and why I take that because it's, uh, because, again, I have this genetic predisposition. But let's talk about what actually happens, right? So you get these plaques kind of forming. Like I said, they're not like a dental plaque, they're a plaque on your teeth. And they have a lot of things in them. They have these low-density lipoproteins. They have other smooth muscle cells, sometimes calcium in these. And they start to form. And then it's called an atheroma. That's the other name for the plaque. But it eventually, often because of turbulent blood flow and other reasons, can ulcerate and that leads to a clot formation. And this clot formation can often obstruct the flow of blood. And even if it doesn't do that really rapidly, that could be a heart attack, but it could cause stenosis or narrowing of the blood vessel, which can also cause problems as well. So basically the question is that if this is so so bad and causes all these potential problems, you know, what can we do about this? And take a walk, do some sit-ups. There we go. Eat a so salad. Exercise for sure. Moderate physical activity is recommended for all yeah. people. And you can screen, you can do these online tests that screen your risk based on your family history. And if you've had your cholesterol level checks, you can, you can enter that as well. And it can look at your risk and, and that may help to determine what you need to do. To raise your stress, potentially, depending That's on right. what the That's result right. is. And, 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 and speaking of which, some people will have to get scans to look into this more. So we can do nuclear medicine scans. You could do stress testing, right? People have heard about the cardiac stress testing. Again, your doctor won't do all of those things if you have no symptoms, but definitely if you have symptoms, they may consider depending on, on your risk factors, but that, that's a bit of an individual test. But talk to your family doctor about that. But anyway, getting back to what you're saying. So prevention is really the key, right? On future episodes, we could talk about what you do if you have an acute, so in other words, you're now having a heart attack. And Well, if you're now having a heart attack, actually call 911. Stop listening to the podcast unless the podcast helps you relax while you're waiting for the ambulance, in which case you may do both. You could do yes, both. You that, can have your right. cake and eat it too. That's yeah, right. Don't have cake though, because cake would probably yeah, lead to Yeah, it's just really kind of complicated. Yeah, it's bad. So we'll talk about those maybe on a future episode, what we could do in medicine if you're having a heart attack, what we could do if you're having a, a, a stroke. This is one of those are your vegetables killing you? Stay tuned. More at six. You know what I mean? You go, wait, wait, my vegetables are, I need to know if my vegetables are killing me. Why am I staying? Why are you going to do this at the end of the local news? So we're not only doing end of local news, we're doing like five episodes from now. Hey, if you're having a heart attack, you're going to learn about that in a month 
it's because there are complicated things. You get the coronary artery bypass graft, which I know you know people who've had that. That's the heart sure surgery do. lots of people have. Or stents, you know, we've had have people in my family who've had stents put in. That's a non-open heart surgery type procedure you can get done. But those are like, why don't we talk about things that people can do on a daily basis, right? Yeah. To help prevent. So as you said, stop smoking. For sure. That's one of the best things you could do. If you are overweight, lose weight because that will decrease your risk and, and decrease your risk of diabetes, which we know is is also put you at risk of heart disease. And then you can look on, we'll, we'll talk about foods in a second, but you could think about going on a lipid lowering agent if you have a high LDL. So that's what I take. I take a statin to help lower that. Those have some side effects, like muscle side effects, yeah. Are there different types of lipid-lowering agents that are not just statins? There's yeah. other type of... Yeah, okay. there are other types as well. They all have their own pros and cons. And so statins are probably the most commonly prescribed ones, but there are some other options you could try. If, say, you don't tolerate a statin or there's other issues going on. Throw out some names? What are, what are we talking about? What are these products? Yeah, so there's fibrates. Those are can be used. They... That can be used niacin, which is vitamin B3. There's some evidence for that. Then there's other things that people recommend, natural products and plant sterols, but those maybe have a bit less less evidence. So those are lipid-lowering ones. But the other thing that you might be thinking about is parents being on things like ACE inhibitors. So ACE inhibitors are often used to lower blood pressure. And you'll often see patients who have heart disease and atherosclerosis also put on that because any increase in your blood pressure, you need to lower that because it's, it's definitely a modifiable risk factor. So maybe that's what you're seeing. If people have had a stroke or a coronary event, then they would be on antiplatelet therapy. Aspirin, usually with another kind of antiplatelet therapy, but again, those are we can talk about those in a future episode. So I'm just telling you, Ali, when you see somebody who's had heart disease, atherosclerosis, stroke, they're on a bunch of medicines, these were the different types of things they'll be on. Often antiplatelet, blood pressure, lipid lowering. I've never had a heart attack or TIA or coronary symptoms. So Hang that's in why there, I buddy. Be, Hang in there. <laughs> so I wouldn't be on those ones, but because of my family history, I had this other blood test, which indicates this predisposition to um, high cholesterol, then I would... Um, be on a lipid lowering agent. And then, but let's talk about diet because I know that's a big thing that you like to talk about. People are talking about it, not just me. You know, it's, it's out there. there it's out people. there. It is, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're going to talk about it because the amount of oil we use as South Asians, it's not for no reason that we're not a leader in heart disease. The, the style of cooking we have. And then also, you know, I talk about this in, in, on stage in my show, I, I I make it more about Pakistanis, but you know it's the same thing. I'm like, we don't have salads. You know what a Pakistani salad is? Onions. That's it. That's the whole list. That's the entire. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> that's the, good. That's a joke <laughs> that's I tell a, on stage good. because I'm trying hey, to uh, impart. Uh, you know the the strut. Now Pakistani food is phenomenal. I mean, I, it's like it's such an amazing tasting food. But we're also cooking the nutrients out of our food almost entirely before we eat. And and the same thing goes for, you know, most of the Indian subcontinent. Let's talk about some of the things. And I'll link to a couple different guidelines for people to follow. Some of them are from the American Heart Association. Some of them are from the American Journal of Preventive Cardiology. So you can just kind of see. So in general, we want more vegetables, fruits, legumes, nuts, whole grains, and fish. Right. In, yeah. And and the, those first few things in there as close to fresh as possible, I imagine. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. So less processed foods, less refined foods, decreased trans fats, sodium 
indirectly, right? Because sodium is not a big deal unless you have high blood pressure, then you must decrease your salt intake. So like, thankfully, my family, we actually tend to have low blood pressure. So salt is not really an issue for me, but it is for other people. And so you want to kind of look at all those things. So there's this table, which you'll see, uh, I'll link to. This is, it's basically 10 tips, right? That you should do to promote cardiovascular health. So number one, adjust your energy intake and expenditure to help achieve a body weight, which is easy to say, but sometimes hard to do. But keeping track of this to make sure you're you're balancing these two things out, right? Fruits and vegetables, again, is number two. Whole grains, number three. Again, we talked about that. And then choose healthier source of protein. So again, legumes, fish and seafood, low fat or fat-free dairy products, and choose lean cuts of meat and poultry, right? When you're doing it, I think, and avoid processed meats, which is what Ali was saying. Interesting, Ali, they do say use liquid plant oils rather than tropical plant oils. So no more coconut oil, palm oil, palm kernel oil. I know Ali likes coconut oil. I shave with it, dude. I put it on no, my skull. Oh, and apparently that's not a problem. No, <laughs> you really just sometimes just take a big swath on your hand, just lick it. <laughs> I haven't been doing no. a lot of that. No, okay. I haven't been doing it like that. Animal fats, so butter, lard, so this, you know, it's ghee, right? These are things that will, are going to contribute uh, significantly. Well, minimally processed foods is important instead of ultra-processed yeah. foods. Things minimize added sugar. Again, that's just going to keep people's weight down, all right? Salt, we talked about. If you, This is what they say. If you do not drink alcohol, do not start. No. And if you choose to drink alcohol, limit your intake. And I think we know, based on the data that's come out in the past couple of years, I think really people should aim for minimal to no alcohol intake. And I know yeah. it's, I mean, this is changing society, but I, I think some of the press that has come out in the past six months or so about this, people have really been taking a hard look at their alcohol intake, which I think is Absolutely. good. I think, I think there's two things to look at. Uh, you know, this is my opinion here. There's two things to like, I am an avid drinker and, and, and I'm almost to the point where I'm, I'm struggling with it since the pandemic. I'm too much of an avid drinker, but I will say that there's a balance between sort of, you know, good health, but then also the social element. You go out with friends, you go out with family and you, you know, to deny yourself. You, but the other element is we've bought into the propaganda of, of the alcohol yeah. industry. And, you know, as many, I'm not just talking about your family doctor, I'm talking about experts in this field are saying there is no way you can say that any amount of alcohol is beneficial. It's so funny. People get so Big Pharma, all the propaganda, Big Pharma, Pfizer, Moderna, all this stuff. There's big alcohol too. Guys, Seagram's. I mean, and people have just bought into this. Sure. Big Pharma, there's there's a dirty side, but there is some pharma that will save your life. Of course. We just talked about medicines life. like this. We've been this, talking yeah. about it, right? There's nothing that's going to save your life in the alcohol world. So, yeah, no, there's a very, very dirty side that we don't explore to alcohol. And I kind of hope... Because what's happened so far, you know, recently, this like mind-altering uh, news came out that two drinks a week is what you should be aiming for. Mm -hmm. And people are like, what? what it was, was just yeah. two drinks a day. What are we talking yeah. about? Two drinks yeah. a week. So people are really struggling with that. A lot of people just screw this. People, they don't know what they're talking about. Other people looking inwards. And that's great. But I think at, at some point, we also need to look at the responsibility that these alcohol 
purveyors and manufacturers assume for all this. They have been pushing something on us, right? We had the, and this seems insane right now, but it also seemed insane to lower your smoking and put bans on smoking and you can't smoke indoors. And you have these, what were those called? Those labels, those very disgusting labels on cigarette smoking, all those things help take down an industry that we now understand was not right. interested in our health. And I think you got to start looking at alcohol the same way. They are not in any way interested in our health. Totally agree. And to quote Chris Rock, I think people need to think about their selective outrage because there's mm. a lot of selective outrage yeah. about other things and less so necessarily about things like alcohol. Yeah. Anyway, the last thing on this suggestions for evidence-based dietary guidance is to adhere to these strategies regardless of where food is prepared or consumed. That's the hard part, right? Is uh, sticking to this when you're traveling, right? When you're on vacation. I was nine uh, days in Western Canada and it was, I just couldn't grab, a, I mean, I really thought, I really thought this would be, it's, it's one thing, I found it very easy. I was staying in, you know, downtown in the city of Toronto for a few days while I was on this show, Canada Reads. We have 7 a.m. call time, so I'm in a hotel. I found that very easy because it's every day waking up in the same place. Yes, it's not my home, but I look up restaurants. I look up menus. requires some planning. But when I was on a tour and traveling like two days in Regina, two days, one day Saskatoon, early flight, late this, time changes. If somebody has some resources that can help people who are, you know, literally on the road and moving. I think that's a huge struggle to stay healthy and make good choices when you're doing that, you know, the time zone changes and in planes and this kind of, if you have some resources, please share those with us and we'll share them with our, with our listeners. I, yeah, I, mean, I think I mean, that's very, very difficult. The key all to all these things, which it's taken me a while and let's trust me, uh, as Ollie knows, I'm not the best at this at, as, at all, but is consistency. That is the key. It's the key to all of this. It's the key to exercising regularly and eating correctly. Like they talk about this, not, I shouldn't say correctly. That's not the right word. Eating in a way to promote cardiovascular health is actually what we're trying to say is consistency. So the more you can do that, the better. And like Ali said, if you have any tips for us, let us know. Okay, that's our show for today. Let us know what you guys thought. Chris Farley, let us know about your take on Chris Farley and his legacy. If you have any favorite memories or skits of his, you can also get angry at me for not appreciating him back in the day. Dr. V Comedian at gmail.com. Dr. V Comedian, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We are everywhere. And I just want to take this time, Ali, you know, to really, I was thinking about this the other day, to really thank our listeners. Because we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for our listeners. We're so appreciative. He doesn't mean we wouldn't be on this earth. We would still be alive, I think. Well, but we wouldn't be here in this format if you weren't such avid listeners and promoters of the show. So I, I, I echo that. I think that's, yeah, maybe we, do we not appreciate our listeners enough? No, I think we do, but you always have to say it, right, Ali? Like you're supposed to tell your kids you love them. Do you I ever do that? I appreciate, I choo, choo, choose you is a Simpsons reference that I hope some people will recognize and love. But yeah, thank you very much. Appreciated. I don't know if you're leaving Ottawa at any time and we'll be able to meet people face to face, but I'll be in Western Canada, but uh, BC, I'll be in British Columbia in April. Standupali.com is the website and I'll be in the Okanagan Valley and Vancouver and Vancouver Island 
And in my mind, those are places where I will be able to maintain my health food-wise and exercise-wise. I mean, I hope so. But remember that although I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. Medical issues we talk about are for your interest and information only, and they are not medical advice. Please consult your medical professionals for actual medical advice. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.